0: Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel, from The Globe and Mail. Last week, we all learned about the new COVID-19 variant of concern, Omicron. And on Monday, the World Health Organization said it poses a risk that is, quote, very high. Omicron has already been detected in more than a dozen countries, including Canada, And scientists are still working to learn about COVID-19's latest variant to figure out what we can do to defend against it.
1: There's kind of a sense of, you know, are we running to catch something that's kind of outpacing us a little bit? You know, we could you could imagine a vaccine that's tailored to this variant. But by the time more people are getting that vaccine, there's another variant on the horizon, that sort of thing.
0: Our science reporter, Ivan Semenik, is back on the show to tell us about what makes this new variant different and what we know so far about Omicron. This is The Decibel. Ivan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. So you're a science reporter, and, and you've been in the thick of COVID-19 research and, and information since the beginning of the pandemic. So when you started looking into this new COVID variant, Omicron, on, on Friday last week, what went through your mind?
1: Well, I guess I'll preface what I'm going to say with the fact that it's early days, and there's a lot we don't know about this variant, But there was a sense that a qualitative change had taken place, similar, I think, to what we experienced a year ago when the first variants of concern emerged. I think that was the first time, I think, that the world at large, you know, recognized that the virus can change in a way that can substantially alter the trajectory of the pandemic. Since then, we've seen other variants kind of successively outcompete each other, kind of waves of uh, improvements, genetic improvements to the virus sweeping over. But this one, uh, it represents quite a big leap. Even the difference between alpha and delta, which was significant, the early evidence is that this outpaces that by, by quite a bit.
0: And so we're speaking on Monday around noon. So this is, of course, a fast-moving story, and things may have developed since then as well. But can I just ask, it is being called the most significant variant encountered to date. So can you just explain a little bit what makes this so different from the other variants that we've encountered?
1: Sure. Well, the way we mark these variants is by the number of mutations. You know, the the virus has a a genome that's kind of written in the uh, units of RNA, you know, packed into every viral particle. And so it's how many many changes uh, that have occurred between, you know, any given variant and the original wild type or sometimes called the Wuhan strain of the virus, you know, the more changes, the more it's diverged from that uh, initial strand of the family tree. This Omicron variant is off on a branch very much to itself. I mean, it is related to some of the earlier variants like alpha and beta, but only distantly related. There are 32 mutations, and that's more than three times what was seen on Delta. And also quite a number of them are clustered on what's called the receptor binding domain, so the actual point of contact between the virus and and human cells. And that many changes in one location is probably not just a random chance. It, It means almost certainly that the virus has gaining an advantage from those changes. So then the question is, well, how much of an advantage? That's what we're still trying to figure out. And then the other reason for concern is because the change is so large, that makes the virus less visible in a way to the antibodies that the vaccines are raising to protect us.
0: You mentioned that, you know, we're, we're still trying to find out about this variant, too. So scientists are still working their way through um, studying it. Sounds like it, it could take a while, maybe a few weeks before we get some more information on it as well. Can you break down, I guess, what kind of testing is happening and, and what are they looking for and hoping to find?
1: Sure. And th- this is really going on on several fronts in different places. And I think a lot of the research community has been trying to acknowledge uh, researchers in South Africa who've done so much to flag this variant early on, when we were talking about the Delta variant back in the spring, that variant could be traced right back to the fall of 2020, so you know, months before. Here, we're getting an alert about a variant that, so far anyway, the earliest known appearance of it is just in early November. So it's a very, very quick alert. So the kinds of things that are being done, first on the epidemiological side, obviously, is just to see are cases going up? And this seems to be the situation in South Africa, but also to look at the severity of the cases and the nature of who is getting infected, age groups, gender, and also importantly, what is the vaccination status of the people being infected? In South Africa, right now, a lot of people are not vaccinated or only partially vaccinated. So, you know, that's a very favorable situation for the virus in any case in new variant perhaps even more so does this variant appear to outcompete the ruling Variant, which is Delta. That's the kind of thing that is more likely to emerge in a place where there's a high number of cases and potentially a high number of vaccinated cases. So all of that is sort of just whatever data can be gathered from epidemiological uh, case numbers coming from different places. But meanwhile, there are other things that can be done in the lab. And this is happening in Canada as in other countries as well, where you take either the variant or a synthesized version of the variant and you test it against blood taken from people who have been vaccinated or who have previously had cases of COVID-19 and presumably have antibodies to defend themselves against that virus. How well do the antibodies in that blood pick up the new variant? Uh, You know, those are lab tests that can be done. They're being done even as we speak. And so in time, we'll have more of a quantitative sense of You know, how much more infective is this, this variant likely to be? The one caveat there, of course, is there are many different dimensions to human immunity. It's not just about antibodies. And of course, there's a difference between antibodies blocking infection and antibodies preventing serious disease. So that's, that's the other difference. We we know that uh, Delta is a little bit better at breaking through vaccines and getting around our immunity. But so far, uh, if you're vaccinated, you know, all the existing variants, the vaccines seem to work pretty well against preventing severe disease. So the big question is whether that will also be the case for Omicron.
0: So, Ivan, you mentioned there's there's a lot of scientists are studying this variant now. Do we have a, a sense of how long these tests are, are going to take until we have more information about it?
1: Well, I think we're going to have different amounts of information coming at different times because there are, you know, different tests and so on. And obviously, there'll be the difference between what lab studies show and what is observed in the real world certainly it's already clear that this variant is different from previous versions and we can anticipate that there will be some challenge to vaccines the question is how much different compared to delta and Will it successfully outcompete other versions of the virus, you know, to become a real threat? In the past, there have been other variants of interest that popped up. People might remember Mu and Lambda. We were writing about this earlier in the year, but ultimately they were not able to overtake Delta and they died away again. So it's still an open question uh, what's going to happen here. I think we'll need at least another week or two to see if there's uh, more to it than that.
0: We know there's uh, at least a couple of cases in Canada already by Monday. Do we have a sense of how it spreads different from maybe how other variants spread?
1: You know, they're all airborne. So the public health measures that have been most effective, including social distancing and masking, are still going to be the go-to solution, the other key questions that we really don't know anything about is, you know, whether it lingers longer in different ways or on surfaces or can travel farther than in the air. You know, these are really wide open questions that we just wouldn't have enough data yet to know about. I mean, right now there has been some anecdotal information, for example, in the Hong Kong cases and perhaps elsewhere as well, that it it's transmitting very efficiently. But, you know, it's hard to know what the reason for that is. You know, what are the actual mechanisms about this version or the structure of this uh, variant that makes that possible? That's where we need more data.
0: And what do we know so far about how sick people are getting when they contract this variant?
1: As I understand it right now, there's no clear evidence that it's leading to more severe disease. This is where we get another confounding factor though, because, and this happened with the alpha variant as well. Hospitalizations started to rise, but it was difficult at first to tell the difference between Are hospitalizations going up just because the overall number of cases are on the rise? If the variant is more transmissible, you get more cases, and therefore you get more people in hospital? Or is the disease genuinely more severe in some way?
0: mentioned vaccines a few times now, Evan. So let's, let's get into this a little bit, because I think that's what a lot of people are, are concerned about here, that the vaccines that a lot of us have been vaccinated with, are these still going to be effective? Do we have a sense for what Omicron will mean for our current vaccines?
1: I don't think there's a sense yet what it will mean for vaccines, but I think there's some apprehension. I mean, little by little, the variants are moving further and further from the strain of the virus that the vaccines are tailored to, which is the original version, the version that first emerged in China in late 2019. So at some point, you've got to wonder, will a booster vaccine be needed that is formulated to a very different version of the virus than the vaccines that we have right now. That'll depend on a few things. It'll depend on whether the variants are increasing severe disease. It'll depend on how easily the variant, uh, the new variant spreads. And of course, how easily a version of the vaccines can be reformulated to address the new variants. I guess the other thing is there's kind of a sense of, you know, are we running to catch something that's kind of outpacing us a little bit? You know, we could... You can imagine a vaccine that's tailored to this variant, but by the time more people are getting that vaccine, there's another variant on the horizon, that, that sort of thing. That's why um, more uh, vaccine researchers are starting to talk about increasingly about what they call multivalent vaccines, vaccines that can elicit a response to more than one variant or to different suites of mutations that might seem to arise again and again in different variants. All the major vaccine makers are working on those. But both Pfizer and Moderna have said that they uh, could come up with a version of their vaccine that's ready for Omicron and ready for clinical trials or clinical studies in about two to three months. Even if a vaccine is uh, reformulated and tailored to a new variant, it's still going to have to go through some approval process, some authorization process. So, you know, it's not something that can be done overnight. The technology makes it very fast. I, I mean, the reason we had the vaccines so quickly in the first place is that these messenger RNA vaccines really are made to be developed very quickly. So in that sense, it's very efficient to change the formula of the vaccine. So then the question is, uh, how will the uh, regulatory process pivot to do that?
0: We've just started this huge vaccination campaign for kids in Canada, as, as you just mentioned. Does mm-hmm. this news of, of this new variant, does that change anything that we're doing on that front?
1: I don't think it changes anything in terms of vaccinating kids. They're the largest unvaccinated group in the country. So that leaves a big wide open highway for the virus to travel through that young population. And even if the vaccine efficacy is chopped down quite a bit by the new variant, let's hope that's not the case. But even if it is, it's got to be better than not being vaccinated at all. A lower efficacy vaccine is better than none. And so I think If anything, it should just encourage everyone to move forward as quickly as possible on vaccinating the remaining population.
0: What do scientists think about travel bans? Because we've seen that that's been a kind of reaction from a lot of countries pretty quickly to put in place restrictions or bans from travel from parts of Southern Africa. Is this an effective way to to try that?
1: I I think we're seeing mixed reviews on the travel bans. I mean, we know so far that travel bans have been unable to prevent variants from arriving. The world is an interconnected place. And usually by the time a variant is detected, there's already been enough travel that it's starting to move around uh, ahead of any attempt to shut it down. On the other hand, others may say that it does buy you some time. You know, we have not yet seen a variant successfully stopped by travel bans. And and of course, there's this additional factor that for countries that are very good at spotting these variants, and in this case, South Africa has done a great job, there's that sense of punishment that, uh, you know, you find the variant next thing you know, there's a travel ban on your country, because you're the first one to report it. I think that doesn't stop doctors and and public health officials from reporting these things. But there's kind of an irony to that.
0: A big aspect of this issue is that some parts of the world haven't had access to to vaccines the way that wealthier parts of the world, like like Canada, uh, have. And from a scientific perspective there, knowing how this virus spreads, how important is it to ensure that there is that equitable vaccine access uh, around the globe?
1: Well, I guess the simple answer is that the pandemic is not over until uh, everyone in the world has access to vaccines the way we have here in Canada. So there are two things to that. One is the uh, access to the the actual access to the vaccines or the distribution of the vaccines, you know, and, and the financial resources to get those vaccines, but also the education and sort of the public education and the additional work that goes with with the vaccines to make sure that there's acceptance. I think misinformation has been a problem for all countries, you know, regardless of what part of the world they're in. And uh, people are nervous about taking vaccines or kind of shying away from those vaccines in different places for different reasons. So that also has to be an important part of the strategy. And that's that work is needed everywhere.
0: Canada's chief public health officer, Dr. Theresa Tam, said in a, a statement released on Monday that we should start thinking about the holidays now and actually limit our holiday celebrations to, to members of uh, immediate household if we're doing in-person things. I guess based on what you're seeing of this variant now, do you think we, we should really be starting to think about changing our plans for the holidays? We're going to have to really bring things back to a point where we can't, I guess, meet people in the way that we have been for the last few months here?
1: I think everyone should be following the words of uh, public health officials very closely at this point. Through the fall, as case numbers have declined again, there's been, you know, measures have gradually lifted up again. But, you know, now, now there are some new unknowns on the horizon, and it would be repeating history to not be paying attention to that and to continue to open up, continue to open up, even in the face of potentially a a new threat. We'll know more soon. So, you know, all of this is with the caveat that there's a lot we don't yet know. But I think everyone should be taking on board that in the weeks to come, things could be less open than they are now.
0: What about lockdowns? I think that's something else that people are, are kind of wary of because we've been through so many in the, in the last couple of years. Is are lockdowns an effective way to tackle Omicron? And is that something that we might be facing again in our, our near future here in Canada?
1: I think that's where we really can't say for sure, you know, if we're at that point. I, I think if we're in a situation where, where we have a variant that is truly overtopping the vaccines and we're all once again in a position of being newly vulnerable to a deadly disease, as we were in the spring of 2020, that's a serious situation. And you know that lockdowns would have to be on the table, but no one wants to rush to that scenario just yet. And and I think there are a lot of hopes that, you know, even if this variant isn't nothing, it won't be quite like a brand new pandemic all over again. I mean, in the end, what's really going to determine how serious the public health response is is what is the capacity of our hospitals the real determining factor has been how to avoid hospitals from being overwhelmed with uh, with serious cases mm-hmm. and to, you know how to avoid doctors being in the uh horrible position of of having to triage or choose uh, who gets treatment
0: ivan thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with us about this
1: thank you and we'll of course be doing our best to keep you posted in the days ahead
0: Thanks for listening. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Tim and Johnson is our intern. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. Michal Stein edited this episode. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovic is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks to Ivan Semenik. You can find more of his work at theglobeandmail.com. You can also email us at thedecibel at globeandmail.com. If you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at rw. And if you haven't already, please follow The Decibel wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.